All right, everybody. Welcome to a bonus episode of Backlash Podcast. Brad and Kerry from Muskie Mayhem Tackle and myself from Team Rhino Outdoors. We had talked about doing this many, many times, and finally we just did it. It's a lot of work for us to put out extra episodes, but the response that we've gotten from the podcast in recent weeks is, you know, it's pretty awesome. So we decided that it's something that we really felt like we needed to do was put out a few of these episodes. You know, we just want to thank everybody for listening. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk to Sean Leopardi from the Muskie Max in Pennsylvania. It's a show. He's going to kind of give you a brief rundown of his show. From everything I know about it, it's a pretty awesome show. And Brad, Kerry, why don't you guys talk a little bit about where they can find your product at that show? Yeah, the last couple of years, we've been really fortunate, Jeff, to have John Betty from Stealth carry some of our product out there. So anybody going to the PA show can still see some of our product. And, you know, it's been the normal baits that we usually carry. But this year, we're actually just boxing up a couple things with the new rabbit girl. And I think we're going to try to get some squirrels in there as well. So anybody that's looking for some of the musky mayhem tackle products, they can find them in the stealth booth and John Betty will be more than happy to help you out. Yes. Everybody check out John Betty, pick up some leaders, pick up some musky mayhem tackle at that show. So that's first up. We're going to talk to Sean from the musky max plus show, and then we're going to continue on. We're going to answer a couple questions in the Q and a part of it. Well, I guess, do you guys have anything else you want to do on the intro, or is that pretty much we're just going to go shoot right into Sean? I think that's pretty solid. Let's get her going. All right. So here, we're going to go talk to Sean right now. So everybody, now we're going to be talking to Sean Leopardi with the Muskie Max show in PA. For anybody that doesn't know, it's a pretty cool show. I've heard there's a lot of buzz about the show. You know, I guess it draws quite the crowd on a Saturday I heard that it's also a very good show on Sunday. Got a few different things going on there on Sundays. So, Sean, thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your day to come out and talk to us. Do you think that you, uh, let's start off with dates and location. When's the show and where's it at? Sure. Well, first off, I want to thank you for inviting me on the show. This was great. Really appreciate the opportunity. So, Musky Max, it's in year number eight. We have a lot of fun with this thing. And it is uh, March 7th and 8th. Um, Exhibitors will set up on the 6th. And it's at Princescape Arena in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, which is, which is just south of the city of Pittsburgh. And from what I can tell, you guys get quite the lineup of, of uh, exhibitors. A lot of, I mean, you get some of the big names out there. Uh, Chaos Tackle, I know our, our good friend John Betty from Stealth Tackle's out there. But you also get a lot of these little guys. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about some of the smaller makers that you guys get out there? Yeah, I think that's one of the, you know, beautiful things about this event is, you know, we've handpicked quality exhibitors. And I'm a muskie fisherman as well. I've been muskie fishing since I was seven years old. Uh, that was my first trip to Ontario, Canada. And that was the first guy muskie fishing trip. And we had a blast and we've been hooked pretty much ever since, uh, no pun intended. But that's really the, the nice thing about this is, you know, we've been fortunate over the last eight years to develop really good relationships with a lot of the, you know, well-known names in the business as far as exhibitors go. And as far as uh, the great mix of local and smaller exhibitors, we'll, we'll call these people craftsmen, really. They're really good at what they do. They don't make, you know, tens of thousands of anything. They just put a lot of care and a lot of, uh, a lot of workmanship and either rods and or fishing lures. And, it's just such a nice mix. And I think with these smaller venue events, it gives the attendees the opportunity to get in and 
really get to meet the manufacturers, whether it's one of the bigger exhibitors or smaller, they get to spend some time. And, you know, it's a really special thing for kids too, because now they can also meet the, the family that's actually making some of the products that they use and then they become lifelong sort of customers. That's for me, that's really fun for, um, for me to see this happening, unfolding right before our eyes. So I would assume much like any other show, seminars and learning education stuff that's kind of a big part of it do you want you said you guys have some unique stuff that goes on on a sunday but you want to also highlight what goes on on a saturday seminar wise yeah saturday you know it's a really busy day on saturdays and facing putting time in between the exhibitors over say an, an eight or nine hour day you know you want to keep activity and high energy but you also want to give the the speakers who have you know, taking time out of their schedules and everything to be there. Um, we want to give them enough time where they can share some really solid information and address questions and things like that. But for for uh, 2020 on Saturday, March 7th, we've got a lineup of uh, Jason Quintano from Fins and Grins. We've got Tony Grant, Tony Grant Outdoors. We've got Ken Trail from Rockland Fishing Guides and Vance Kalos, who's with Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. What I really love about that, too, is we're covering St. Clair. We're covering Cave Run. We're covering James River, Virginia. We're covering some western Pennsylvania waters, including uh, Lake Chautauqua. Just by these four guides, we've really been able to cover a wide stretch in very different types of bodies of water. And then on Sunday, March 8th, at noon, we did we did this last year, and it was really well received. We call it the Muskie Max Ask Us Anything Pro Guide Panel, and actually Tony Grant is a moderator, and we put a lineup of uh, Greg Thomas and Ken Trail and Brian Clark and Spencer Berman, Vance and uh, Jason. We line them up on the stage, and we field questions that are unrehearsed, un- unsolicited, whatever unscripted i guess is a better word and we catch these guys sort of off guard and it is a very fun time people really enjoy this it sounds like a really good time out there sean what are your hours out there i don't know if you caught that in the beginning sure it's uh, saturday march 7th it's going to be 9 a.m to 6 p.m and i know this sounds crazy and, and people maybe roll their eyes or whatever but people start to get in line around 4 15 in the morning which is it's crazy but it's the truth people get in there for you know they want to be the first in line and and uh, we want to accommodate so that's saturday from 9 a.m to 6 p.m full day and then on sunday march 8th we run 10 a.m to 3 p.m awesome it sounds like you're doing a great job out there and i know everybody that uh, that i've talked to that's been there and experienced it they all love that show so good work i appreciate that and you know i also emcee the event so I'm not a promoter that um, that isn't visible, that isn't you know participating in the event. So from setup to teardown, we are involved. And my brother uh, Todd Party, he's involved with this as well. Uh, Leo Lures is is a fishing lure that he's been making since about 1989. He's involved with the with the event as well in a big way. Awesome. So Sean, you know one of the neat things is that John Betty from Stealth Tackle has been putting our tackle up in his booth every year out there. And he sells quite a bit of it, actually. So he's representing Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and we truly appreciate that John does that. But Carrie and I have discussed, you know, it's a long drive for us to make it out to PA. But 
I think one of these years you're going to see us. We're we're planning on possibly flying out there one of these springs. So that's something that's possibly in the works for next year even. I'll tell you, we would love to have you. It would be great representation. And I think it's just a great opportunity for you to bump into other a lot of other people. I know you're super well known in the industry, but you know, you just you meet so many good people in there. So many new people that's very exciting for me to see how it's evolving and, and what's happening here. One thing about the Western Pennsylvania market is that we can't we can't create more anglers, but we can introduce people to the sport. And so we really do, even though it's musky focused event, we do encourage all anglers to attend. I don't care if you're into trout, walleye, smallmouth, whatever it is, we want you to come and learn and meet a lot of these men and women that are, that are you know, put their hearts into this sport and give you an opportunity to learn more. And, you know, when we've polled our audience in the past during the seminars, there's been upwards of 30, like 33% of the audience have never fished for muskie before, which if you're an exhibitor or a guide, this is a great opportunity for you to share your story. So we always want to make people feel welcome. You know, there's no such thing as a foolish question. Well, I guess there is sometimes, but we um, we always want to encourage people to ask questions, and I want them to always feel welcome. The other piece of this is, kids, we want to make sure that this is a family-oriented event, and um, we get about 200 to 250 kids age 12 and under, and we have a, a local bank. Next Year Bank is a sponsor that sponsors the Muskie Max Kids Spot, and um, they have got snacks and crafts, and it's refreshing reprieve for parents just to chill out for a little while and just enjoy the show it's just worked out really well so kids and folks who aren't familiar with the muskie fishing sport it's a great way for them to get introduced well sean we certainly appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk to us about the muskie max plus in pennsylvania coming up in a couple weeks i hope you have a great show and like i said we really appreciate the time you know, you coming out, like I said, everything that we can hear out here has been nothing but positive about the show. I mean, everybody I talk to says that that place is jam packed on Saturday. In fact, from what I understand, I talked to chaos tackle and there's another show in Wisconsin that's going on the same weekend. And usually he takes the smaller booth to PA and he takes his bigger booth to Northern Wisconsin. But this year, I think he said he's going to flip flop and Rick Albers is actually taking the biggest booth he has out to PA just because of how that crowd is out there. Rick is going to have a big setup, no doubt. But, uh, I, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your show, and uh, I wish you guys all the best. And just be safe on the water this year. Thanks for coming out, Sean. Have a great event. Thank you. Take care. All right. Continuing on with the podcast, we had a couple questions that we're going to answer. Uh, we had a Facebook post out there. There's a bunch of questions on there that we're going to just continue to answer, you know, randomly here and there. So one of the questions we had was, what is the procedure or what are the tips that you would do for fishing dark water with a visibility of less than one foot? I got a few ideas. Brad, you got a couple ideas too? Carrie? Oh, for sure. Maybe. <laughs> Carrie's a maybe. Well, let's, uh-huh. let's let her handle the entire question then. Well, I mean, she's a seminar speaker. Let's let her fly. <laughs> I'm not a seminar speaker, and I have very rarely fished dark water, so I don't get out much. I don't get to do that stuff. My husband doesn't take me anywhere where there's dark water to fish, so I only can maybe chime in on that. You can come up by me. There's a whole pile of dark water up there in northern Wisconsin. Tons of it. 
whole river's full of dark water, and I know many lakes that are too. Well, the interesting thing about dark water is that there's multiple choices when it comes to dark water. One being, you know, is it muddy? Is it tannic? It could be, you know, dark water could be just a really bad algae bloom. And that's something that you deal with in a lot of different waters. But generally speaking, I spend a lot of time on clearer water. And I think, you know, a lot of water has changed over the last, say, eight, 10 years with the zebra mussels. The zebra mussels have really cleaned up a lot of bodies of water throughout, I know, Wisconsin and Minnesota. So I, I think we can dive right into it, though, Jeff. I'm ready. All right. Well, let's hear your thoughts on dark water, and then I'll either expand on your thoughts or I'll offer my own thoughts, because like I said, I have some experience fishing dark water. Yeah, I think it's really not much different than fishing after dark. When the sun goes down, your water's dark then as well. And so one of the big key factors, I would say, is slow down your presentation. You want to let those fish actually find that bait so that they can chow it. That's one key component that I would say. But then again, I would also look at using noisier baits, baits that maybe have rattles, baits that produce a ton of noise in the water. You know, bigger baits sometimes can be part of that equation, but you definitely want to to provide them some noise in the water. And then if you want to start talking colors, a lot of times it, it seems kind of strange, but a silhouette type bait a dark bait. So maybe you're going to use a black in that dark black water, or maybe that, maybe it's tannic. Maybe it's more of that rust colored tannic water. A lot of times with that, I kind of match that same color. So like a brown orange, or maybe even possibly a red or copper blades definitely stand out really well in tannic water. And that can be, you know, I said algae bloom. Algae bloom, a lot of times you can even match it there. Sometimes it's orange, sometimes in that greener water, you're going to want to use more of a chartreuse, but uh, definitely think about that. It's kind of interesting when you, you kind of match that color of that water. Sometimes it stands out better. Yeah, I won't disagree with any of that. I would say if you're talking tannic stained water, darker, like not dirty, but it would be, you know, just like tea colored or coffee colored, really dark coffee colored. Then I would be using, like you had said, a lot of black and orange is very typical for me. The other thing that Brad had said was slowing down that something that is, you know, mildly effective. I haven't found that burning blades is really super effective in a condition like that. The other thing I that I make sure that I do in super dark water is I make sure I do really good figure eights. And sometimes I'll actually go around twice because I've had a lot of action boat side in super dark water and you can't literally see them. I mean, if you're talking a foot of visibility, they can literally be down one foot. You wouldn't see them. So I typically make sure that my figure eights are even better than I normally would in clear water. And I'll do lots of blind figure eights. I mean, I figure eight every cast anyways, but like I said, I'll sometimes go around twice just because of that. I've had numerous fish on very dark water. And, you know, like, like Brad was saying too, like bigger profile will work. I mean, but I've caught fish on smaller ones, so I wouldn't necessarily say that's like a hard, fast rule, but just a couple of things that I've found. Hmm, what else? Making noise. Brad's right with making noise. I would say that crankbaits, crankbaits with rattles are good. Double 10 bucktails, double 9 bucktails. Topwater can be really good, although I've also done, I've also used dive and rise baits, and those do fine too. Sometimes just the hooks hitting the bait itself will make noise, and that can help too. So those are just a few things that I found about dark water. But like I said, the biggest thing for me had always been 
figure eights, make sure my, you have really good figure eights. Yeah, I would agree with that completely, Jeff. And, you know, that's a, a really good point. One of the things too, you know, as you're doing a figure eight or you do an oval, whatever you choose to do, you know, you really got to pay attention. And a lot of times <laughs> that's a big surprise when they actually eat. Another part of that equation is, is you might be relying more on your side imaging as well, being in tune with where your bait is. And you can use that side imaging also to, to possibly see that fish as it's following. Yeah. I've heard that more and more people are, you know, looking at their side imaging for figure eights. I still use it, but I, I use my side imaging more when I troll, which is probably not the way I should do it, but that's just the way I've done it. And so, but I know of multiple people that tell me, yeah, we caught one because we saw it on the, on the side imaging still, I, I use side imaging quite a bit, but I don't probably use it to its full potential. Well, that's a, that's a game that uh, everybody's going to continually learn on. I, I would not, not call myself an expert by any means, but it definitely has become an important key to putting more fish in the boat. That's for sure. Yeah. I would agree with everybody that says anybody that says it doesn't, doesn't know how to use the technology probably because I can't imagine it's going to help you catch less muskies. So, yeah, I just find it interesting. You know, I mean, it's a second set of eyes and is you try to put every tool in the toolbox to enable the most success on the water. Again, side imaging is part of that equation when it comes to dark water. So, I mean, I guess if we want to take this one just slightly further, typically in dark water, your weed growth isn't going to, it's not going to grow as deep based off of what I've found, you don't get as much light penetration. So I also find myself typically fishing shallower, but I've also found very good open water bites in dark water too. So I don't want to say that eliminates everything, but typically in order to find weeds or weed edges, you're going to be pushed up a little shallower, but don't discard the fact that they could be in the open water. And by open water, I don't necessarily mean you need to troll. Sometimes it's just me going out in dark water and finding bait fish. I have one particular lake in northern Wisconsin that's super dark, and I find bait fish. And I don't throw really loud baits. I caught them on, you know, hardheads by phantom, bulldogs, and but then again, we've also caught them on double tens, double nines, you know, junior cowgirls, all that kind of stuff. And last year we even caught them on that new mimic bait I got on that same dark water bait and or dark water lake. And then we also got them on angry dragons last year too. So. Some things make noise, some things didn't. Mostly brighter baits with, like like Brad was talking, with darker silhouettes. So just a couple different options. But like I said, don't, you know, I granted I didn't really narrow much down, but I don't want anybody to discard the fact that they think that in a dark water lake you can't get an open water bite. Yeah, I think one of the interesting dark water bites that I would think about and I've actually been involved with is down in Cave Run. You know, in the early spring, they have a ton of runoff, and if they get a bunch of rain, it can get really dark. Have you ever fished that down there, Jeff? Yes, I have, but that that's dark water, but that's not the same kind of dark water that I have in my head. That's like green, greenish dark water. Like the muskies well, that time, come out of there, they're super, like, they're almost like white. Yeah, one of the things that I, you know, that I'm talking about, though, is early in the spring when their water comes up really high, it almost looks like chocolate milk. I mean, you've got that mud line, if you will. A lot of times that can be challenging. And I know that they use a ton of rattle baits down there. And I know Tony Grant had that uh, rattle and shed. And I think Lungeon picked that up. Did they not? Yes, they did. We carry that. Okay. And 
it's always amazed me, you know, it's more of a bass sized bait, but it definitely produces some fish. But again, it's a noisy bait and it's a small bait. It kind of goes against the grain of what we were just talking about, you know, larger profile. Another good example of dark stained water. Yeah, I would say in that t- that type of water that you're talking is more more along dirty versus coffee. You know, you know what coffee water looks like. It looks really dark, but I think those fish still have better visibility than what they would in the greenish kind of water that you're talking about on Cave Run. That's true. You know, you can you can look at like St. Clair. St. Clair has a mixture. You know, you've got some dark water, you've got clear water, and they're looking for that line of that difference. But you're right. That is a different different tone. But there's so many different tones, you know, that's kind of a loaded question. How do you fish dark water, you know? Right. <laughs> because it, it can vary so much. Well, that's like this past spring, or not spring, it was like, um, when the heck was it? It was June-ish, later June. I fished with Noah Binsfield on the river. Now, that water was was dark, but it was like mud-stained water, like super dirty. It wasn't like coffee colored, like super dark coffee. It was like super dirty. And so there, you know, it was mostly top water and blades, but then, you know, Steve was throwing a hellhound glide bait and he was having action on a glide bait on that hellhound. And from what I remember, I don't think those hellhounds even have rattles in them. Like I said, there's kind of a mixture. It's always, if you have two guys in the boat, you know, I would change it up again, no hard, fast rules in musky fishing. You're going to have to play around a little bit and try to just sometimes think outside the box and not get stuck in a rut. That's for sure. And it's easy to do jobs. I don't know, you know, hopefully answered that question decent enough. Definitely probably going to be a few things that pop up in our heads later at a different time. But I think off the cuff, I think we covered that one pretty good. I would agree. So then the last one that we're going to do for today, we're going to talk about it. The other question was like kids and fishing, getting kids involved in fishing. So Brad has a daughter. I have four kids. And I can tell you that amongst my four kids, there are varying degrees of interest in, the, in musky fishing or even fishing in general. I have my older daughter who, if you watch our YouTube channel, you'd see her. She caught a musky casting this year. She's very into musky fishing and fishing in general, being out on the water, which is weird because she's a super girly girl, you know, makeup and all that kind of jazz. But then I have my younger daughter who's 11, almost 12. She has very little interest in being on the water unless we're going swimming in the pontoon boat and she doesn't want much to do with fishing, but oddly enough, she's willing to touch worms and all sorts of stuff if somebody needs their hook baited. So that's strange. And then my six-year-old son and my eight-year-old son, they both have, I'd say a mild interest in it. Obviously, I think as they get a little bit older, they'll be more into it. So you have varying degrees just based on personalities alone. Some kids just want to do it and other kids don't. So, Brad, you want to talk a little bit about your experience with getting kids in fishing, and I'll kind of talk about what I think, too, again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's a, it's a great question. And having a daughter of my own and trying to, what I call, plant a seed. And I think what it really, really boils down to is when you have a young person, you want to plant these seeds so that it's enjoyable. You got to make it fun. If it's not fun, they're going to go, man, I don't want to do this ever again. You know, planting that seed is something that's going to grow. And over a period of years, they're going to want to be more and more involved in it because it is fun. And 
And that's what it really boils down to is if we didn't think this sport was fun, we wouldn't be involved. So that's really important. And by doing it and making it fun, there's no burnout. One of the things that, that Carrie and I have always done with Mika is basically we get her out there fishing. If it's tough and it's not going real well, guess what? We're going to quit when she's done. But we don't quit right away when she's like, we got to go. We got to go. We kind of push it a little bit, but it, it depends. And we try to read her on that. So, I mean, having fun in the boat is the biggest key. The second component in my mind is multi-species. If you're out musky fishing and you can go slip in some panfish of some sort just to break up the monotony, a lot of times that makes a difference as well. But the one equation that <laughs> my daughter blows me away. I mean, she's six, seven years old and she's out doing guide trips with me basically enabling me to have an extra line for guys and she'll go 12, 16 hours a day. It's kind of mind boggling. I don't know that I could have done that at that age. Maybe I could have, you know, it's a, it's a practice of patience, if you will. And that's not always easy for our youth. No, but the part, the one thing that you guys, that you talked about was like kind of letting her dictate when, when the day is over, as far as fishing goes, like I found with my kids that if I want to push them longer, it's just going to end up ruining their their experience is going to be ruined. So they're not going to be very likely to want to come back and go fishing with me again if I let them. If I'm dictating and I'm saying, nope, we're out here for eight hours today, you know, that's that's not going to work out well. Fortunately for me, with we have a camper up on Pelican Lake in northern Wisconsin. So if I'm going fishing with the kids, I'm usually going to stay on Pelican because then if I need to say they're bored, done, whatever, but I'm not done and I want to keep fishing, I can just say, I can call Melissa and have her come down, get the kid off the dock, and then I can go back out. At least that way they yeah, they kind of get their feet wet for as long as they want to. And unfortunately, I know I don't like talking panfish on this podcast, but Carrie, this is where you get to come in because I'm thinking <laughs> you're going to want to go bluegill fishing with them. I, I do. I But, you know, we do that. We, we do, we've done the dock thing. Brad's been been out for all day and Mika wants to go with and two o'clock she decides she's done and I meet them at the access and pick her up and they go back out you know we've done that many times and the multi-species thing that helps them also we also like multi-species bluegill fishing bass fishing whatever bluegill fishing Mika does a fair amount of swimming while the rest of us are, are fishing we have found that bluegills don't really care if there's a seven, eight, nine-year-old swimming in the water. They still bite. So she'll fish for a while, then she'll jump in, then she'll come back and fish for a while, then she'll jump in. That's just the way the way it goes, but it's how she stays engaged. Maybe a little off topic. When she's in the water swimming, it's pretty amazing. She'll be kicking around the boat and whatever, and we're fishing right below her. And actually, I think what it does is it kicks away a lot of the small fish and empowers us to catch the bigger ones. So it's not a bad thing having her in the water swimming. Now, that doesn't work very good in the musky sport, that's for sure. But <laughs> yeah, um, and who knows? Maybe it does. We haven't tried it. <laughs> all over Minnesota, though, don't they have all those kid-eating muskies there? So I don't know if I would do that because... Mus muskies are known to attack many, many kids over there in Minnesota, I hear. 
Yeah, you hear things like that. I <laughs> I don't even want to go there, Jeff. That's the topic that uh, we don't need to make bigger. Well, they don't. They don't bite kids over here in Wisconsin. We're fine with muskies. They're they're okay. It's only those Minnesota muskies that bite kids. Yeah, we've got some people that are anti. That's for sure over here. And who knows? Is it a pike? What was it that actually bit them? You know, there's no real just to that deal. It was a walleye. Always blame the walleye. Well, those walleyes, you know, they run in packs, and they're kind of like the wolves of the water. You got to watch them. Yep, exactly. And that's that's a joke. Just <laughs> so people know. <laughs> well, is there anything else you guys want to add to their conversation about kids and fishing? Yeah, I think there's two components, and I'll let Carrie do one, and then I'm going to finish up with another one that I think is is somewhat important. One thing that we always make sure that we have, whether we have just one kid in the boat or like last fall we had four kids in the boat, is that you have plenty of snack or food or whatever because they're always happy if they get to eat a sandwich or they get to eat a candy they they picked out or they get to eat their favorite cupcake or whatever so we we always make sure there's no shortage of things for them to get into when we're in the boat i think that adds a component to the whole deal i mean definitely breaks up some monotony um, and sometimes it gives them something forward to look to look forward to and you know so snacks and drinks that definitely can can curb some monotony in the boat if you will but another component to this whole deal is definitely getting them a rig that actually works for them and what i mean by a rig is i'm talking about a rod and a reel last the last two years you know we've worked with mika casting and she's nine now but when she was eight and seven she wanted to start casting and one of the things you know i can't hand her a te or you know, a bigger framed reel of any sort. I can, but believe me, it's it's going to be short lived because she can't physically handle that that pressure of a long rod and a big reel. So what we've done is we have downsized the rod length a little bit. I started her with a six footer, and it's just an old Shimano Compre that I had laying around, and that one worked pretty good for. Her. And I had a 200 series GTTE, and that was kind of a cool reel for. Her. But again. It stood off the the rod just a little bit too big for her hands, and she didn't like foregripping. So we have now switched her to an eight foot six rod, which is lighter, but uh, we put a Corrado on it, and that Corrado is a great little reel. I mean, it's it's meant for bass, but it's a great low profile reel that works really well for her. Got a great drag system in it. The brakes in it are really feasible for tightening it down so that she can cast different size baits. And she's actually managing quite well at this point. So one of the things that I would suggest to people is not only trying to make it fun, but make it fun in the sense that the equipment fits them. If it doesn't fit them, they're going to fatigue early. They're going to be frustrated because it isn't working for them. And part of the equation is, is maybe take them into a store and get them fitted for that stuff. Because once they actually know it's their own, that kind of turns some wheels in their brain as well. I just keep thinking about the cupcakes I'm going to get when I come over to Minnesota next time. You said you get kids and their favorite cupcakes, so this is going to be awesome. Jeff, you're not a kid anymore. Ask my wife about that. Ask Carrie about that. <laughs> I'll make you a cupcake, Jeff. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. What about... Does that mean you're coming over here? I guess, if I want cupcakes. Although, at that point, I could probably buy the best cupcake ever right here in town and just stay here. <laughs> 
The other thing I found about kids, and sometimes you can keep them a little bit distracted, is by trolling. You know, whether you're trolling for muskies or you're trolling for something else, just the difference in, you know, different scenery and different boats going by and things changing. You can probably draw out a little bit of extra time if you want to spend some time trolling. And sometimes I've done it where we're just trolling with two lines, you know, one holding one and I'll just throw out some flicker shads or whatever. And, you know, just, just quick, quick and easy. That way they can potentially get hit and get a fish that way too. And it might buy you a little extra time on the water. And who knows if you catch a muskie or a bass or a whatever, obviously success is going to help, you know, get them more excited about the next trip. So just a few tips to get you through and get, or, you know, get you more time on the water with your kids or neighbor's kids or whoever's kids. It's just good to get the youth out fishing. Hands down, Jeff. You're talking about that trolling scenario, and I've been known to actually put some minnows in a pail right in the boat, you know, and believe me, minnows in a pail can last a long time. Walleye fishing, I've been known to stick night crawlers up both nostrils, things like that. Anything to kind of keep them going, you know? So it's about just making it a great time, and that's what I suggest to everybody. Gary, he's sticking night crawlers up up his nostrils, and you're and he's trying to call me a kid or something like that or whatever. Or I'm not a kid anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Hey, man, you, you do anything you can do to stay on the water. You don't you don't catch them from the couch, Jeff. I don't know. I don't. I draw the line at night crawlers in my nostrils. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you gotta you gotta make what works. I guess. I think I'm just gonna. If at that point, I'm just getting off the water. If that's my option, stay on the water, stick night crawlers up my nose, or get off the water, I'm getting off the water. You can just have some gummy worms available, Jeff. Those are good. Everybody likes gummy worms. Fat kids over here like gummy worms. Brad's thing is there's always red licorice in the boat. He has to have red licorice and smoked almonds. That's not a bad option. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our question and answer session on this podcast. We'd love to do more of these bonus episodes. So if you haven't checked out our post from, I don't know, it's probably maybe like three weeks ago on our Facebook page, we have some questions on there. If you guys want to add more questions onto it, go ahead and do it. We're just going to keep pulling them randomly. Some of them we're going to answer me and Brad and Carrie. Other ones we're going to have the guests answer them. I know in future episodes we have quite a few guests coming up and they'll be able to handle some of them as well. So it's not going to be quite the always the question and answer session. Hopefully you guys enjoyed what Sean had to say about the PA show. Muskie Max sounds like it's going to be a great event again. If you guys have time, go check it out if you're in the area. Obviously, guys in Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, they might not be making the trip, but heck, you might find a cool basement bait maker that you don't see every day, and then you want to go make the trip out to Muskie Max. It sounds like it's a pretty cool event. It's always sounded like uh, he puts on a pretty good show out there. I know the people that go, every one of them I talk to are always excited about that event. So it's good stuff. So on another topic, for anybody that's recently got a hummingbird unit and you want to learn a little bit about mounting transducers, on our YouTube channel, we just put up a new video. Matt Seifert does a really great rundown on how to mount the transducer, talks about what he does to make sure that it's fine with no bubbles and everything works out right so go to our youtube channel check it out there you'll also be able to find episodes of backlash podcast on there our primary source for getting the podcast out is still going to be on podbean itunes google play spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, overcast those are going to be where you're going to find the you're going to find the podcast the quickest 
always updated and that's where it goes first we are going to add all of our eventually add all the stuff from you all the podcasts onto youtube but for now you want to go check out that video it's in my opinion it's really well done matt did an amazing job and if you've listened to the podcast in the past you know how how knowledgeable matt is with the hummingbird units and you also know you know how great of a job he's done on a podcast before yeah and, and it isn't just two hummingbird jeff you know i mean any transducer it can be an si transducer or high speed transducer you want to kind of follow the same pattern so definitely something to check out and you know kind of something that we haven't really discussed a whole lot is our youtube channel you know being combined like this i mean there's plans of doing a bunch of other stuff too for that matter if you haven't checked out musky mayhem tackle on youtube go check out their channel i know they've put out a couple of videos I think it's been a couple already. I can't remember. I watch so much YouTube lately that, you know, I've been in the shop a bunch at uh, updating websites and I, I've watched a lot of YouTube. So I think they had at least a couple, but I can't remember for sure. Also, if you haven't already, check out Team Rhino Outdoors on YouTube. Hopefully in the next couple of days, we'll have another video out. We did a two-part deal to St. Clair. So you'll see the, the struggles of St. Clair and you'll see the greatness of St. Clair in two separate videos. And hopefully it'll be out in a couple of days. Um, my plan is once you hear this one, if you actually listen on a Friday, that it'll be out on Sunday. But we'll see if that actually comes through. But hopefully that's the plan. And as far as everything else goes, Team Rhino Outdoors, you can check us out at teamrhinooutdoors.com. The one thing I haven't ever mentioned in the past is Team Rhino Outdoors, we are a retailer in the musky world. I've mentioned that plenty of times. But for people that don't know, our carts update in real time so you can go through and you can shop on there and our inventory is updated so if you can add it to your cart and check out unless melissa and i or one of the kids made a mistake counting something which happens occasionally but super rare but anyways you're good to go your cart will your, your order will ship and typically we try to ship it within 24 hours or close to right now with shows and everything sometimes things are a little bit more delayed but typically it won't affect anybody in the midwest because they're not fishing anyways so that's it on team rhino outdoors again we have a facebook page and instagram page and the youtube like we talked about occasionally i tweet at tro fishing is the uh, twitter handle so if you want to check that out backlash podcast you can find us at all the other places i just had listed itunes google play spotify stitcher iheart radio if you want to get in touch with us backlash podcast at gmail.com you can also find backlash podcast on facebook and instagram so brad carrie why don't you guys talk about musky mayhem tackle we'll wrap up this bonus episode hopefully everybody enjoyed it i know we had fun doing it like we always do you can find musky mayhem tackle at musky mayhem tackle.com you can find us on instagram facebook youtube if you're not subscribed to one of the three or all of the three youtube channels Musky Mayhem Tackle, Team Rhino Outdoors, and Backlash Podcast, you should, because then you'll get the notification every time a new video gets put up. You can also find more cool Musky Mayhem Tackle info at the uh, on Brad's Instagram account, which is Musky Mayhem Guide Service. He's got all kinds of cool random photos to look at from his years of guiding, and that's about it. Well, Brad, you got anything to add to that? I think you guys covered it pretty well, so... We're pretty excited about this new video. Go check it out. Until next time, Jeff, let's uh, let's shift gears and end this one. And looking forward to the next one. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you all again next Wednesday.